following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're at. We're going to look at verse 15, 16, and 17 today. We've been going through Ephesians. Somebody shot me a text last week and said, Jordan, if it's possible, could you preach a feel-good sermon this morning? I'm so tired of being convicted. (laughs) And I told one of our elders that, and he said, you've got to find a different book than Ephesians. (laughs) which is so true. It is convicting, and uh, well, I'll, I'll do my best, all right? Um, feel good sermons, man. Who would have thought? All right. Uh, one guy that I look up to uh, outside my dad is a guy that a lot of you know. His name's Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., I don't know if you know this or not, while he was a civil rights activist, uh, he was really adamant on um, the ministry and the gospel, he was a pastor, um, and before he ever started in the civil rights movement, he, he was a preacher. Uh, he believed in Jesus Christ, and uh, his famous speech, the I Have a Dream speech, he gets up and he says something that I thought was interesting since the day I heard it. I've read the I Have a Dream speech. I've heard it probably a dozen or more times. He says that his, he had a dream that his kids would grow up in a nation, in a country, where they wouldn't be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And we pass by that statement, but it's huge. Dr. King's desire was that his children would be judged by the content of their character. As a father, his desire was that the kids would be judged from an outside world by the content of their character. If Dr. King was still here He would say the reason for that is if an outside world judges the Christian by the content of the character that they have, they will not only accept Jesus Christ, but they will see the value of a life with Jesus Christ. They'll want it. My question is, as Christians, what does it look like for us to have the contents of our character? Like, What what does that mean? Are there components of that, essentially? And if we go into Ephesians chapter 5, Paul outlines the contents of the character that we should have as Christians, where an outside world would look at us and want a relationship with Jesus, and those of us who already know Jesus Christ would want to grow in a relationship with him too as well. Let me pray. Father God, I don't feel good. Um, so if you could just lead the way for the next half hour. That'd be great. And uh, would you remove me from the equation? And um, would you speak to us in a way that would just blow us away? As we set the table here this morning, would you give us the opportunity to realize how much this impacts our life? Just these three passages of Scripture and what you call us to do. And, and would we find an attitude of joy in these passages? 
Because that's what it means for us to be Christians, is to be so full of joy. God, I thank you for the fellowship that we have here at this church with one another because of the fellowship that we have with you. And now impress these truths on our heart. We ask them in your name. Amen. I have a little bit of a plug, by the way. My dad's going to be here next week, so be nice to him. Okay. 15. Paul says, look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. First principle in regards to the contents of the character of the Christian should be that we are men and women of principle. That we are men and women of principle. What does he mean when he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise? Paul says that word carefully means accurately. So you and I as Christians are called to look and to examine and to investigate with great care at our lives. Not just on a Sunday morning setting. This should happen 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. That you should examine with great care your life and look at it very closely to see if your walk is lining up with the walk that God has for you in a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. You examine it to see if you have received wisdom, salvation from God. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 2 talks about getting wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is getting wisdom. Do you know how you get wisdom? You get saved. You come to relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, through faith. That's what Ephesians tells us. He says, you look carefully then at your life and as you walk. Now, Paul has already talked previously about walk, and we've discussed that in great you know, length. But if we were to rephrase that one sentence, he says, you look carefully at how you live. You examine it very closely. Look at how you live your life, not as an unwise person, but as a wise person, okay? So my question is, Paul, if you want me to be a man of principle, what does the wise person look like, right? What does it look like for somebody to be wise? Well, I see a couple of things there, four things actually. The wise person, first of all, comes to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, It's salvation, and we go back to it over and over and over again because that's what we cling to and claim as a church and as a Christian. Amen? You should never be tired of the gospel. It should be always on your lips, and you should be ready to walk and talk according to the gospel. Now, Paul had a little mentor. (laughs) He wasn't really little. His name was Timothy. And Timothy was sent to, it's believed, the Corinthian church because they had a bunch of problems and Timothy loved people. And so he said, Timothy, you go to the Corinthian church. I'm getting older and you'll love them. And he tells Timothy, though, in one of the books in First and Second Timothy, he says, the salvation in which you received makes you wise. You cling to that truth. That is the beginning of all wisdom is the salvation that was been given to you by God. He reiterates that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Salvation makes you wise. If you have confessed that you are a sinner and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Savior, guess what? You are smart, okay? No matter what the person sitting next to you says, you're intelligent. You made the best decision that you could ever make in your whole entire life. But we don't just stand there. We continue to walk and we continue to live as somebody who is wise. Second thing he says is that as a wise person, you mourn over your sin, Do you mourn over your sin when you fall short of God's standard? Do you find yourself in a state of mourning where you say, God, I'm sorry, and you relent and repent of your sin? 
You say, I messed up. I made a mistake. Do you find yourself at the feet of Jesus spending time in prayer? We were just talking about prayer in First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians chapter 1, in the 9 o'clock hour. It is our most crucial weapon as Christians and as a church is that we pray. We're men and women categorized by prayer. It is a privilege that we pray. And every time we refuse to pray, we let the enemy get a foothold in our lives. When we say, God, I will not seek your face. I will do what I want to do. We have essentially become our own idol. Salvation makes you wise. Uh, Mourning over your sin makes you wise. A hunger and a thirst for righteousness makes you wise. In other words, what he says here is, when you speak to God, do you say, God, make me righteous? Make me somebody that somebody looks at. The content of my character is examined by the outside world to be like Christ in right standing with the Lord. That I thirst and long to be righteous in the eyes of God. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, is that you would pray for these things. The fourth thing, to be wise means that we are obedient to God's word and that we heed and follow God's divine path. That I look to the Lord's path, and one of my prayers as a Christian, it should be the same prayer that you have as a Christian, is that, Lord, align my will to your will. And then what that means is essentially when something hits in your day, you have the ability to say, okay, this is what God has ordained and set up for me. This happens at least once a month at Community Gospel. I loathe it when it happens, but afterwards I'm always thankful. Somebody gets a flat tire on the highway. It never fails. I have a huge to-do list that needs to be accomplished. I don't think God understands all the things that I'm trying to accomplish for him and his will. And I drive into the parking lot, and here sits a stranded pedestrian trying to fix a tire. Deacons, we need a tire-changing kit at the church. It happens all the time. If I have to crank one more of those jacks like this, I'm like, so, where are you from? Eh, Where are you going, right? It's not my will, it's God's will. And God's will is that, Jordan, have a conversation with this individual. Show them the love of Christ. For God's sakes, it is a church, right? Now, in Ephesians... What the Ephesian church would have seen is, if you were reading this and you were a New Testament Christian, what you would have saw is that Paul was talking about the rising of the fads. Now, what he means there is, and there's, there's fads that come and go. For example, athletes were rising up in Rome, and people were following athletes. They were looking to them. Uh, polit- politics was huge in that day and age, and people were following some politicians. Uh, Finely linen garments were distributed within all of these places, and so people were consumed about what they would wear. It's no different than where we're at today, is it? Paul says, as a wise person, you run after the will of God because of the salvation that you have received, mourning over your sin, hungry for righteousness, heeding what God says. That makes you wise. That makes you wise. And so the unwise person essentially is the one who rejects all of those things. The men and women of principle are the men and women who have received a relationship with God. The men and women of principle are the men and women who have mourned over their sins. 
The men and women of principle are the men and women who have thirsted for righteousness. And the men and women of principle are those who say, God, align my will to your will. Can you say those things? Judge not my children by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. They would be men and women of God, men and women of principle. Then he says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So the content of character is not just principles, it's privileges. What privileges is he talking about there? He says, make the best use of the time. If you are following along in your word, I bricked out essentially making the best. What Paul is saying here is kind of like a slave who has the opportunity to buy up his free time. Essentially, he has stored it up. Some of us would look at this in the context of vacation time at work. You have stored up enough vacation time, and now you have the opportunity to go somewhere. He said, honey, we have two weeks. We're going to go somewhere. We've stored up for an opportunity here. Now, it's not time that Paul is talking about. He's talking about opportunities or a fixed season in which the Christian can serve. Totally different. It's not chronos here, which is where we get our word clock. It's the word for opportunities. See, you can get vacation time, can't you, at work? But whether or not you make the best use of that vacation time is what matters, right? You'll talk to some people and you'll say, how did you spend your vacation? I watched 15 seasons on Netflix. Not necessarily a great use of your time, right? Some people say, we went to Disney. It was fantastic. It was the best place on earth. Or we flew to the Grand Canyon and we saw what God had in store in regards to creation, right? He says, you make the best use of your time. Change that word time to opportunities. You make the best use of your opportunities. For what? As somebody who is wise, what are my opportunities? Twofold. To share with people who are lost the gospel of Jesus Christ and to build up my brother and sister who are already found. Every opportunity you have in life is to do those two things as a Christian. You refused your will and entered in God's will, and that is God's will for your life. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But you say, God... Here is the opportunity, regardless of my personality, to share clearly the gospel in which I have received with somebody who doesn't know it. And here is the opportunity for me to come alongside my brother and sister and love them the way that you loved us, to build up the church. You make the best use of the time, of your privileges that you have. You think about some people who did this well in the Bible, right? Noah did it well. God says, no, I want you to build a boat. And he says, okay, I'll build a boat. He builds a boat. We see in that story a man who uses his time well. We see a society that wastes their time in the same breath. What does a society do? They see Noah building a boat, and they say, hey, stupid, why are you building a boat? It's never rained. Did you know that? The probability that it never rained was huge. Water came from the ground. What are you building a boat for? And all of a sudden, God shuts Noah up in the boat. And what happens? People start banging on the door and saying, we wasted our time. We need you. There's a man in the Old Testament. His name is King Ahab. And he essentially uses his time to validate wickedness. And it costs him his life. 
in the end. We see Jesus talking about this with the five foolish virgins at the wedding feast. And ultimately, one of our great examples of somebody who wasted time is Judas, right? How foolish of Judas to sit at the feet of Jesus and think about himself in every single setting that he had. You can debate that, but Judas cared about himself and not his Savior when he sold his life to put Jesus on the cross. You see, guys who use their time really well, Paul says in 2 Timothy, when he's talking to Timothy, he says, I made every ambition in my life to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's whole ambition was that he would present Christ in a way that it would be reflective, that he was a man of principles, making the most of his privileges. You see him talking about how he wants people to be in their life. For those of you that are single, Paul was single, and he says, when I'm single, I get the most opportunity to share the gospel because I have more time. Something to reflect on. David, in Psalm chapter 89, he used his time well, right? At first, he's a little sketchy, but then he flips and he says, God, I want to do your will. Make the use of privilege. What about you and me? Do we make the most of our privileges? He says here, because the days are evil. In Ephesus, anytime you did what was right, you faced opposition. People would come and essentially push back to what you said. And so there was oppression that was building up here in the city of Ephesus. And Paul says, when you see evil things that are happening in your life, it should be ammunition to keep pushing forward regardless of persecution that is happening. What takes place here and transpires is when people question, you grow. When people ask, you grow. When people push back, you grow. Those are privileges in which you are called to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want my kids to be categorized or judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Men and women of privilege, men and women of principle. Then he says, therefore, knowing all of these things, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, the first part of that verse is interesting because he says, therefore, knowing all these things, do not be, that word foolish, you could circle that there, do not be anxious or panicked or overwhelmed. Easy for you to say, Paul, I don't know if you know my schedule, amen? Have you met my relatives, right? Have you met my coworkers? Have you met people who are in my path? He says, do not be anxious. Do not be panicked. Do not be overwhelmed. It is essentially Paul's way of saying, do not worry. 365 times the Bible says, do not worry, one for each day of the year. 365 times the Bible clearly outlines, do not worry, one for each day of the year. Why? Because your your heavenly Father is seeking your best. But you understand what the will of the Lord is. You and I as Christians are not only men and women of principle and men and women of privilege. We are men and women of purpose. We live on mission. 
with the will of the Lord. Okay, here's my question. What is God's will? Everybody asked me that. Pastor Jordan, somebody told me the other day, your profession is to be a pastor. I said, well, hold on a second, okay? My profession is not to be a pastor. It is a calling, okay? It's a little bit different. I said, but you're getting somewhere. I said, and I said, it's our, it's, it's our opportunity as Christians to live on point or with purpose so that we would all, pastor, congregational member, doesn't matter, Christians together would collectively be focused in the right direction of what God's will is. What is the will of God? Good question. God's will is, one, that you would be saved. That you would come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you would confess with your mouth and believe, and that you would see that faith on Jesus Christ is the solid rock in which you stand. That is God's will, first and foremost, that you would be wise. Salvation makes you wise. Trust Christ. Not here, knowledge-wise, here, heart-wise. Removing yourself from the equation, saying, God, do a great work in me. Number two, he says, that you would be, and we're going to talk about this in the rest of five and six, submissive, or excuse me, that's coming up, sorry, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you get a little nervous because we think when we talk about being filled, it means we run down the aisles and we hoop and holler and you start speaking in weird languages and we get a little nervous in the church when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, don't we? But there are components to being filled with the Holy Spirit and we'll talk about those later on down the road. God's will is that you be saved, you be filled with the Spirit, that you would be set apart or what we call sanctified. And when we talk about sanctification, we talk about submissive, which is a horrible word in our country, but it's not a horrible word in Scripture. Christians who are submissive to Jesus Christ understand his headship over not only the church, but our lives, and we submit to his will, and when we submit to his will, we align his will, our will to his will, okay? That I would be sanctified or set apart, that you would look and act and talk and walk a little bit different than your coworkers, a little bit different than those people who are secular. God says, I desire my church to be a little odd. Yay. Right? He allows us to be different for the evangelism and edification of the gospel. Four. Now, you don't like this, but God's will is that you suffer. We know, as James tells us, that in this world you will have trouble and that you're going to hurt and that there's going to be problems and that things are going to come up, but every one of those things is an opportunity for us to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Somebody lied to me, right? Come trust Christ. Your best life ever is now. I No. The life I live now hurts. Do you know the pain of opening up Scripture and seeing a passage that is so popping out on the pages that you go, Lord, I don't know if I can do that. Right? And he says, you can't, but with me, you can. You read Scripture and you realize how far lost you are and you have pain and toil or the pastor comes and he preaches two convicting sermons He's convicted too. But in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Your problems, your troubles, your situations and circumstances will help you grow in your relationship with Christ, understanding his will, aligning yours to his. 
Also, that you are thankful. These are all principles that are in Ephesians. Our purpose as Christians, watch this, is that we are saved, that we are filled, that we have the opportunity to be sanctified or set apart, that we suffer, and that in all those things we are thankful because the God of all compassion and grace who covers all of our sins calls us home at the end of it and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You did not labor in vain. What a glorious day it will be when we see King Jesus and he says, ta-da! And we are excited, right? Corrine and I do devotions in the morning. Corrine's my oldest daughter. Um, we do the Club E devotions, which are good. I highly recommend those if your kids are in Club E. Um, the Velocity kids are doing the Gospel Project. Those are good, too. So we do, the, um, we do those in the morning. And then afterwards, um, we do this thing called Keys for Kids, which is older than my dad. Um, that's old. And uh, there's a story and there's scripture and we're sitting there, and she's eating pancakes, usually waffles. And I'm reading the story. And this story we read the other day, I thought it was interesting. This family's finding themselves at the beach. And the kids are swimming, and the parents are out the sand, and they're hanging out. And all of a sudden, the little girl screams, Daddy! And they come running, everyone in the family comes running, brother comes running, and mom and dad, and she points at her leg, and she says, ah, and she's screaming because a black leech has suctioned itself to her leg. You know it's the girl, not the boy, because the boy would be like, check this out, you know? <laughs> or so I've been told, I don't have girls, uh, or I don't have boys, sorry. And so she's begging for this thing to be pulled off of her leg. And, you know, brother's like, I got it. And dad's like, whoa, hold on a second. Go get some salt. And so they go get some salt. And they come back and they sprinkle it on her leg. And slowly but surely, what happens? It just falls off. And she is excited and she's grateful for this wonderful lesson that she has learned. And then it's funny because in the Keys for Kids, all of the adults in there love Jesus and they're very conservative Christians because all the lessons come back to Jesus. And I'm like, make me like that, God, because sometimes I don't have a coming back to it. But she looks at the daughter and she says, this, this is what we are called as Christians to be like. We're called to be like salt to a world that is lost and the sin of the world falls off. And I was like, that's so great. That's awesome, Parenting 101, writing that down, right? When my kids get leeches on their legs. <laughs> but I thought about it in regards to the content of our passage this morning. What are you and I called to be as Christians? The salt of the earth. This flesh hangs off of me, and it entangles me, and it trips me up, and it is like a leech. And every time... I cling to being a man of godly character, a man of principles, a man of privileges, a man who lives on purpose. I can feel the weight of the world leave and 
God coming in and restoring where I feel light. If we are men and women who are focused on being wise with our privileges in God's will, we are the salt of the earth and people will love it because it is an elimination of the sin that easily hangs and entails. I want to live in a day where my kids are not judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, because he knew that his kids would be judged. My prayer for the church is that we would be men and women who are judged from an outside world on the content of our character. We are privileged because of our principle, because we live on purpose. Can you say that? Let me pray for you. God, there is um, that passage that pops out on the pages of Scripture. It says, "I, I want you to walk as wise. And Lord, as we are sitting here in the quietness of the sanctuary, would you speak to us in a way that I can't? And God, first of all, would you help us to really examine if we know you as Lord and Savior? God, I'm reminded of my own life, of how much time I spent in a pew like these and thought I knew you, but realized I never gave you control, that my knowledge of you was only in my head and that I had not surrendered my heart. If you are here this morning, and that's you, and you desire not the wisdom of the world, but the wisdom of the Lord, repent of your sins and ask Christ to be your Savior. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to save it, a sinner like me, a sinner like you. Say, God, I desperately want a relationship with you. And for the first time, maybe you pray to him. And you say, God, remove the guilt of sin and shame and come and restore me. Renew a right spirit within me. And he will. And so many of us who are gathered here today, God, we know you as Lord and Savior. We love the gift that has been lavished upon us, the grace that has been given, the mercy that you have given to us. And God, as we are seated here in this place, may we be flooded with the remorse of our sin, our shortcomings. Maybe it was this morning or this past week or maybe it was this past month, the the slug that's hanging on us right now. May we give that over to you and say, God, I'm sorry for my disservice to you and to your word. Maybe you haven't confessed to Jesus what's going on and he knows. But when his children come to him, he gives the opportunity to be restored. Now you're still his child. Those lines are open. Say, God, we ap- apologize for us corporately as a church of the ways that we have done your word a disservice, individually, 
and we thirst and hunger. If this is your prayer, be careful. It's powerful. God, help us to be men and women who thirst after righteousness. May we be set apart in our businesses. May we be set apart in our families. May we be set apart in our relationships, at our workspaces, so that people would ask us, what is it that makes us different? And we would respond accordingly. It is the gospel that we have received. God, when we wake up in the morning, when I wake up in the morning, may the first thing that I desire is to be in your word and to spend time speaking to you because you have created me and given me your son. May we be known as a church of a body of believers who long to be righteous. God, we, we pray this. And Lord, help us to be obedient and align our will to yours. Align our will, what we want to do, so that it would be what you want us to do. And may we walk according to that path. So that when you come again, which you will, and you call us home, we have the opportunity to hear in our ears your voice that says, well done, good and faithful servant. May we know that it's worth it when we live out your will. God, I love you and I thank you for the gospel. It is in your great and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.